Let me walk, blessed Lord, in the way Thou hast gone, leading straight to the land above. We'll give each cheer everywhere to the sad and the lone. Fill my way every day with Your love. Oh, fill my way every day with love. As I walk. Fill my way every day with your love. Oh, fill my way with your love. As I walk with the heavenly dove. Oh, let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way every day with your love. Now soon the race will be over. I'll travel home, but abide in my home above. Yes, let me sing, let's sing all the way to the shore. Fill my way every day with your love. Oh, fill my way every day with your love. As I walk with the heavenly dove. third verse again. Soon the race will be o'er and I'll travel no more. But abide in my home above. And let me sing, blessed King, all the way to the shore. Fill my way every day with your love. Oh, fill my way with your love. As I walk will let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way every day with your love. Oh, fill my way every day with your love. Yes, as I walk with the heavenly dove, let me go all the while with a song and a smile. Fill my way every day with you. Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, if I can have you to stand, we're going to ask our ushers to come at this time. We'll take up the uh, morning offering and tithes. Brother Jeff, if you could ask the blessing on the offering. Sister Becky, um, you were playing that song in Christ alone. Hope is found.
in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storms what heights of love what depths of peace are stilled when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of Christ I stand in Christ alone who took on flesh fullness of God in helpless faith Satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the depth of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, light of the world by Hallelujah. Since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, brought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of My destiny, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I want to sing that verse one more time. I sometimes think that we don't really take it inside and think about it deep enough. Those first line, first words of this, uh, this verse here, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Amen. I am thankful for that blood. Aren't you that we can go? doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. doesn't mean that we don't mess up, but there's somewhere where we can go that can take that guilt away. Amen. That can forgive us. And there is no fear for the future. Amen? No guilt in life. No fear in death. 
This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Let's sing this verse again. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest doubt and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, hallelujah, can still breathe world when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Amen. So thankful for that. As uh, Brother Barry gets ready to come. Let's sing that song, uh, We Need You, Lord. Isn't that your prayer? Amen. Every day we need Him. We can't get through another one of these trials, another one of these crazy things that are going in our world without Him. Amen. We need Him. I like the one verse that says, I need Him. Amen. Amen. We need You, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord, right now. I lift my hands and I bow my knees oh and worship at your throne I need you Lord yes we need you Lord right now let's sing it I need you Lord
need you, Lord, as Brother Barry comes. the very first time and Lord what a thrill that was to our hearts but Lord I sometimes I wonder how you felt when you first saw us come into your presence and how Lord that even though you knew it's just a different thing Lord when you know that this person is totally committed and their heart is surrendered and new life is beginning and Lord the kingdom's restored in the heart of that person Father we trust that that was a thrill to you. And one day, Lord, we will all walk into the corridors of heaven. We shall be all together forever. What a glorious day that will be. And it's for that day we press. It's for that day we long. It's for that day we pray that you would prepare us, that we might com- be completely and totally ready to enter into eternity with you. And Father God, we just are excited about the day we live in. Despite all the things that happen around us, we have been set up upon a rock. You have secured us. You have purchased us and redeemed us. And Lord, you've made a way for us, and we're thankful for that. 
Have your way now, we pray in the service, Lord. We, we are thankful, Lord, for young lives that are dedicated to you and walking in baptism today. And, and now in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would take every spirit, Lord, including mine, under your control. And Father, may you just have sway among us, we pray. We'll give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated uh, today. God bless you. It's certainly good to have all of you here today. We'll let our musicians take your places. That'll be just fine. Thank you. And uh want to welcome everybody here today. And uh, we have a lot of things that we want to accomplish this morning. So we're going to uh, just jump right in, if that's all right. And uh, just trust that what's said and done will be a blessing to you today. Um, good to have... Uh, the Hendershots here, all the way from uh, Kansas, good to have them, good to have Brother Daniels at Florence back, and may God bless you, and the Walters, good to have them here, recently celebrated a birthday, and have them all in the same week, that's the way I look at it, good good job. And uh, we are remembering Brother Hunter's dad, uh, Hunter's dad uh, went through triple bypass this week, and uh, is still in hospital. Hopefully midweek they're going to let him go, depending on his uh, rate of recovery. So we're praying that way. And he was very thankful for the prayers that were uh, sent up on his behalf. And then besides that, yesterday while he was in hospital, Hunter's sister got married. And I didn't know that. And uh, grandfather walked her down the aisle. And I'm sure dad must have missed uh, being there for his daughter's wedding. How many sisters do you have? Three. All right. He's got shot for two more, right? And uh, I would have volunteered and stepped in. You know, I've never done that. Done a lot of things in life, but I've never walked a daughter down the aisle. It's because God knew I couldn't. And so, uh, but I'm always a volunteer for you or your your family and any other family. Glad to do it. Uh, But uh, we're sure praying about Hunter for your family and just trust that God will undertake for you. Um. We have uh, some graduates today that we would like to honor, and we don't have all of our graduates here today, but we have some of our graduates here today, and we wanted to just take a moment to honor them very quickly at the beginning of our service today. And, uh, you know, graduation is something, when we, when we honor graduation, it's a little bit different when a school honors their graduates. Um, we... Uh, you know, for, for those of you that have been uh, walked across the stage and gotten a diploma, it's a celebration of the completion of requirements that you've uh, been given over the, over the years in school. And so you excelled in certain subjects and made the grade and passed it and so forth, and that's all great. Uh, when, when we celebrate graduates or when we acknowledge graduates, it's not so much for the intellectual or the scholastic or academic achievements that they've made. Although we're, we're proud of that, that's great. It's more, uh, you know, we recognize our graduates as having uh, grown up, gone through a process, and completed it. And it's a, it's, a, it's a symbol of their maturing. But that's not the end of things. We look at that as the beginning of something else now, because all of them are going to go on to something else. And uh, it, it is important for them to now take what they learn, not only in school, but to take what they learn and apply it in life uh, because that's where they're really going to put all of that uh, learning to use and not just academic learning, but they're uh, learning for life. 
And so I, I think that's a, that's a great thing. It's a transition. And we pray that God would lead them on uh, to the next step of life. If you have your Bible, just take a look with me. I want to look at a scripture here in relation to graduates, and this is not our text today, but uh, just take your Bible, and we're going to go in the Gospels to an example that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 16 there, Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. Now, this is a, a parable that Jesus gave, and it is, it is related to uh, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus in his first encounter with him, came to the right person, asked the right question, got the right answer. There's one thing about the rich young ruler. He came to the right person. Asked the right question, what should I do that I might inherit eternal life? And got the right answer. And Jesus gave him the direction that he, uh, that he was seeking there. But he chose to turn away from that. He made a choice to uh, secure himself in other things. And in Luke chapter 12, Jesus picks this up and he spoke a parable unto them and said, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there, shall, uh, there will I bestow my fruits and goods. Nothing wrong yet. Nothing wrong here that a man prospers. Nothing wrong that a man plants and reaps and reaps a lot. There's nothing wrong here. Nothing sinful taking place. But then in verse 19, it says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Three words that, that indicated the attitude of this person now because he had lots of, lots of uh, prosperity in his life. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And I would say this to graduates today. Uh, it is not enough. Uh, even though you get this message from, uh, you know, the school system, it's not enough just to accumulate stuff and wealth and money and goods and possessions and houses and lands and IRAs. It's not good enough just to do that because tonight thy soul may be required of thee. It's, it's infinitely better to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the rest shall be added unto you. And so for a graduate, they've got to learn, they've got to learn. A Christian graduate today has got to learn to look two ways at once. We have to provide for our family, got to have a job, got to, got to you know, pay the uh, gas bill and all the other, uh, you know, uh, requirements in life and all the other responsibilities in life. We have to do that. But that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is to be where God wants you to be and to meet God's requirements, and to be ready in case your number is called at any particular point in time. And so a Christian graduate has two responsibilities that emerge all of a sudden as a result of this graduation. They didn't have to think about this going through high school because, uh, you know, the daily agenda was set, and everything was on a certain path, a certain course. Now you have choices. Now you have the opportunity to continue your education or to get a job or 
whatever else. And then even within those fields, uh, the job field or in the uh, university or college or whatever else, there's all kinds of choices that are there. Now it's a wide open field. I hope by now you have thought about what God wants you to do and where he leads you. And uh, now your decisions are a little, little more clear. They're not finished, but uh, it's a decision that you're faced with now. And then there'll be other decisions that come later on up the road. But uh, your maturity in developing uh, not only academically but in Christ allows us to make good decisions. And that's what we pray today will happen to you, that you'll make good decisions in life as you go forward. Let's have our graduates come on up here. Sister Caitlin Brown, why don't we have you come first? You were hoping I'd ask you to come up first. And uh, also as well, we know in the, in the scripture, Sister Caitlin, God bless you. Congratulations. You're not nervous, are you? In Jeremiah chapter 29, it tells us, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And the, the thoughts of God are already established about you and what you're going to do and where you're going to be. This goes for all the graduates here, that God already has in mind what he wants for you. This rich young ruler thought he could handle this because of his wealth. And so his thoughts were different than God's thoughts. And so we would encourage you to, uh, to follow the Lord and keep an open mind to what he has for you, even if it's contrary to what you think. And we want you to take this new Bible, which is really nice. It's one of my all-time favorites. And uh, trust that the Lord will lead you and guide you and bless you in the days ahead. Congratulations. God bless you. Sister Jackie Whitlock also graduated this year. Sister Jackie, God bless you. What are you going to do now that you've graduated? I'm going to major in college. To study? To be a nurse. That's no doubt. Sister Jackie's known that for a number of years, right? Exactly. Number of years. Since you were a young, mm-hmm. young lass. So I was about two. Two? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, I was two and a half before I knew, so <laughs> that's pretty impressive. Well, we know that the nursing profession is important and it's needed, but Christian nurses and Christian medical folks are really needed. And so we trust that the Lord will bless you and guide you and prosper your way, and uh, we trust you'll take that and enjoy it. God bless you, Sister Jackie. Sister Emma Harwell also graduated. You were hoping. I know what you were hoping. God bless you. Good to have you here. Is there anything you want to do besides receive your Bible? Do you want to sing? Do you want to testify? <laughs> Tell a little bit of your life story? What, what, what's your plan? You've shared a little bit with me. College to get basics out of the way and then perhaps do law. Man. We need good Christian lawyers. We need good Christian people in the legal field. And uh, we just trust that the Lord will lead you and prosper your way. We're not just saying that, but we know that God has thoughts already about you. And um, his word is the best roadmap you could ever have. God bless you. Sister Gabrielle.
Gabrielle Walters also graduated this year. God bless you. Good to have you here today. Um, <clears throat> besides shooting, what are you aiming at? Pardon the pun. I'm going to University of South Carolina for tourism management. Tourism management, really? Wow. Do you like to travel? I do, yeah. Have you traveled outside the country? I lived in Spain for two, two years. That's right. Yeah. In near Malaga. Rhode Island. Ah. Madrid. Madrid. Okay. Central. We trust this will be a great road map for you and a light in dark times. And uh, we don't know where your, your path will take you, but God has already got it figured out. So you just stay with him. And I believe he'll get you where you need to be. God bless you. <clears throat> That's wonderful. We, um, <clears throat> we're excited for all of our graduates and um, what God has in store for them. And so may the Lord richly bless them. And also I think it's, it's appropriate for us to give a shout out to parents who uh, saw these kids through and helped uh, to um, pick up all the pieces uh, in their lives and uh, encourage them to keep going and uh, the focus on the things that God would have them to do now that they're graduated from school. And so may God bless not only them but their families as well. Uh, I wanted to say that we are really specially honored today to have Sister Chichi Soriano uh, with us today. And uh, Sister Chichi is here from the Philippines. She is the wife of uh, Brother Roel, who uh, we all know and enjoyed over the years in ministry. And she's with us uh, for the next couple of months here in, uh, in, uh, in the U.S., although she's going to be visiting and traveling around and visiting friends and so forth. We've had her in our home for the last week or so, and uh, she's been uh, recovering from jet lag. And uh, But it's been really nice and just a blessing to have her around. And besides that, besides all of that, she's an excellent cook. <laughs> and she made Asian spring rolls for you today at the dinner. And they are fantastic. I've, I've never eaten one like that, and they are just fantastic. Uh, so... Uh, you're in for certainly in for a treat uh, today. And she got up this morning, four o'clock, and finished them off, so that she's still on Filipino time. So uh, gra- graduating off that, but she got up this morning real early and finished making that uh, making that big batch for us. And we've got them all here, so we're just uh, really excited. And thank you, Sister uh, Chichi, in advance because I know there'll be none uh, none left. None will go to waste. Um, Couple of, just a couple of quick prayer requests. On Wednesday night, uh, we mentioned Sister April Grant's sister Andrea had uh, uh, an x-ray taken, and the doctors found something that they're concerned about, and uh, she's undergoing further testing. Sister April is up there this weekend with Sister Andrea and her mom, and uh, she asked us to remember her in prayer, and I told her we surely would. Uh, we're also, uh, I want, just want to keep before you that um, we... We need to remember Brother Burley, and uh, Brother Burley uh, has uh, been a diabetic. He has some issues with his uh, teeth and facial bones that they need to do surgery on. They've not been able to do that surgery because his A1C level was too high. 
He's lost 40 pounds over the last little while. And the doctors have kept pushing out the surgery date until uh, his numbers get to an adequate level. And uh, it's just important for him. And so it's been a real, real difficult trial for Brother Burley. Not many people know. Uh, I've stayed in contact with him, and he's just uh, been very thankful for the concern. Uh, so if you don't mind, just uh, remember him in prayer. This week he's got to go to the doctor, I think, around Wednesday, and they're going to do a check. And, and if everything is okay, and they're hoping it's okay, uh, he's going to be scheduled on Thursday for surgery. So I told him we would sure... Uh, be remembering him and uh, certainly his family has been, like I say, has been a tough go for them over the last uh, two or three months because he was scheduled, I think, back in March for the for the surgery originally. So if you don't mind remembering, Brother Burley is a friend of our assembly, and uh, we certainly, uh, certainly want to pray that the Lord gives him just a complete recovery and healing from all that he's uh, going to go through. So let's stand to our feet this morning. Good to have the Paschals here. And um, they raised the flag when they drove in the parking lot today, and great to have them uh, with us today. If you wouldn't mind, take your Bible, and let's go to, I've got uh, several places, but I'd like you to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Don't have a PowerPoint here today. We're going to do this the old-fashioned way with uh, with our Bibles. <clears throat> Brother Daniel, Sister Florence here, and uh, just each and every one of you, may the Lord bless you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. And we're going to read this whole little section here just to give us that context. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God that is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Say that with me. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, we pause, Lord, at this part of the service and ask in the name of Jesus Christ again that you would quicken the word to our hearts, Lord. We commit our time here into your hands, and it's not just for a gathering of your people, but, Lord, we desire to be edified, to be strengthened, and, Lord, to grow in grace and in knowledge today. Have your way among us, we pray in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. And amen. Shake somebody's hand near you, and you may be seated tonight, this afternoon. God bless you. We're going to talk about the subject of faithfulness today. And uh, this is a little bit different, obviously, than uh, the word faith. 
although the origin, uh, the foundation of the word is the same, but faithfulness is something that God is very concerned about. And God is faithful. We find that in the Old and the New Testament, many times it's stated that God is faithful. Um, <clears throat> we know that God is mindful of us. We know that God is a predestinator for us, and so he arranges things. Uh, but whenever God makes promises, we know that they are uh, going to come to pass because God is faithful. And not only is God faithful, but God is capable. He's, he's well able to bring to pass whatever it is that uh, he has promised. And because faithfulness uh, is a, an attribute of God, it is something that God is, as Paul stated here, and it's been stated many times in the Scripture, because it's an attribute of God, and all that God was, he poured into Christ, and all Christ was. How many are glad that Christ was faithful? Faithful even unto the death of the, on the cross. Uh, because all God was was poured into Christ, and then all Christ was poured into the church, faithfulness is something that ought to show up in the lives of believers. And uh, I, I want to explore that and talk about that uh, a little bit uh, this morning. We know that by definition, faithfulness means a lasting loyalty and trustworthiness in relationships especially in marriage. Several of you have been married for a long time. I, I'm noticing Brother Smith here today, and uh, he, Sister Mary's not here. She's not feeling well, uh, but we're glad to have Brother Smith. Matter of fact, part of the reason we're having our dinner today is to celebrate his 80th birthday. And uh, I remember, uh, I, you know, I was always struck by Brother Smith the first time, he ever, first time I ever met him, and we had uh, a little group of folks here, the original group of folks that were here at HBT, and uh, we had a little meeting, a little business meeting to talk about, uh, you know, what, what the church really wanted to uh, see happen, what the people in the church really wanted to see happen. And, uh, brother, we, we, we decided we'd put out chairs and let everybody, this was after the morning service, and uh, we, we wanted, I wanted to have a little time to sit down and chat with the people, and you know, we thought we'd put down church, uh, little chairs and have everybody have a little conversation together. And we did. We put them all in the front lobby there of the, of the church building. There was only a, only a handful of people, uh, Brother Smith, if you remember, back in that, uh, on that Sunday afternoon. And um, we began to talk about things. And I remember some of the comments that, that Brother Smith made. And uh, since then, I, I appreciate, uh, you know, people's faithfulness. I appreciated Brother Smith's faithfulness and uh, just being a, a regular part of things. And uh, someone who jumps in and, and uh, was a part of things that took place here. Trustworthy is, is uh, it means a loyalty and a trustworthiness in relationships, especially in marriage. It's the fact or quality of being true to one's word or commitment. It means to stand consistently for the things that a person believes. It's the fact or quality of being uh, dedicated in performing one's duty. Whenever we hire somebody, we want them to be trustworthy. We want them to be uh, faithful in doing what their, what their duties describe, working for a cause. And it's the quality of adhering to a standard or to an original. I like that part. It, it is the, the quality of being able to adhere to a, a, a standard or an original, something that is the way it was originally set up to be, and somebody is faithful, when we say that they're faithful, they're able to adhere to that. They're able to stick to that. 
This is the way that, uh, this is the way that things are done and we're going to, we're going to continue that and we want to hire people, say in business or in government, we want to hire people who will adhere to those principles. They'll hold to them. And they don't decide one day, well, you know what, I really don't like that. I'm going to change this or that. I'm going to rearrange things. I think I can make it a little bit better. And all of a sudden they've departed from this, the original standard that was, that was raised. That's not the kind of people that, that uh, I know that uh, the founding fathers, they set things in, in a certain direction, set things in motion, and uh, they, they want to have like Supreme Court justices that adhere to that. They stick to that as closely as possible. And they have to decide very difficult things, sometimes very technical things, to find out if this adheres to the Constitution in the very first place. We're obviously faced with a momentous change in our country uh, over this week in the decision about uh, uh, abortion and overturning the legislation that caused Roe v. Wade uh, in the very beginning. And uh, the, the, the case is actually debated not on the uh, personhood of a fetus, but it was actually debated on uh, the, le- the legality of the Roe v. Wade law in the first place. So that's what they went to court to try to do, is to pick that apart. And uh, unfortunately, uh, 49 years have passed and 63 million abortions have been performed since that original decision was made. I checked it twice in two different sources, and roughly 63 million abortions have been performed over a law that had flaws in it. And so the Supreme Court justices today, uh, this, this past week, and they've obviously been studying that for a while, we, we did get a sneak preview, uh, which was quite unusual, but uh, the, the Supreme Court justices looked at the legality of that law, and they, they looked at the, le- the, uh, the decision that was made back in uh, the 60s there uh, about, about uh, defending the right to have an abortion and an end of life, and uh, made that decision. Obviously, there are great consequences to that, and so they're trying to come back to uh, a situation that is a little more stable. Don't want to get into that. We'll talk about that a little bit more because Brother Branham had some interesting things, very graphic and interesting things to say about that subject of abortion. As a matter of fact, I thought I would even uh, write something so that uh, wouldn't need to uh, say all of the things over the pulpit that, that uh, he commented about that. So uh, be, watching, be watching for that. But this idea of faithfulness is something that... Uh, we, we, we can count on with God. If God said a certain thing and God established a certain thing and God made uh, his word known, he's made patterns known. He talked about uh, forgiveness and the way that we should forgive. We need to adhere to that. And it isn't our part to take that and say, well, I'm going to modify this whole subject of forgiveness because I agree with what Jesus said. But in this case, it's a little bit different. Well, we're not adhering once we divert from the original cause, right? And so we've got to be careful that we adhere to the things that, uh, that are given to us or handed to us. In the message, Thy House, and this is where, uh, this is where uh, I, I came to be thinking about this and, and looking at the scripture here. And uh, this, this uh, coming from Brother Branham here at uh, we, we know that Brother Branham said some amazing things and interesting things here in the message, Thy House in 1961. He said, not only that, he said he was describing how Paul and Silas were in the prison, and he said all of a sudden they were praying and they were rejoicing in the, in the circumstance that we're in. Rocks began to fall and the prison began to fall apart and everything shook. And he said even, uh, even their shackles fell off. He said there was such a disruption there. He said, see, that's our God when we hold 
faithful. He said, that's our God when we hold faithful. And he said, we must stay faithful. We may not be in that kind of a shape. I hope we don't get to that. But we can be faithful in what we have to go through with. He said, maybe it's a persecution and maybe somebody will laugh at you and maybe they'll say, well, you're an old-time holy roller or whatever. But he said, let's be faithful just the same because God respects our faithfulness just the same as he respected their faithfulness in what they had to go through. Let me say it again. He said, let's be faithful just the same because God respects our faithfulness just the same as he respected their faithfulness to what they had to go through. And I think it's a wonderful thing that, uh, you know, if we know that uh, God, is, uh, God, was, God was faithful in, in standing with them because they stood for him, that's what he promised. He said, if you stand for me, I'll stand for you. And he says, now, here's the admonition for our time. He said, let's us be faithful because God respects our faithfulness uh, just the same as he would respect theirs. <clears throat> so we do the same things we can expect the same response that would come from God as what came from him in another, in another time. And they're following the same circumstances, but in another, a later time, it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, the time doesn't matter. It's faithfulness to the principles or adhering to the principles. That's what really matters. How many can say amen? Now, <clears throat> let me just, uh, let me just uh, stand back just for a moment here. And I, I mentioned a little bit to, to you before, and we have... Uh, today we're going to be doing a baptism at the end of service. Pierce Jackson is going to be uh, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are uh, just excited for that. Always excited when somebody comes to the kingdom and uh, God deals with a heart sovereignly. I think that's an exciting thing. And as I've often mentioned before, I think it's a great thing that uh, that uh, we get excited. But I believe in heaven also that's a, that's a great thing when God sees one of his own coming home. And uh, we know that, uh, you know, in our experience in going through the, the Christian life, we know that uh, there's a, a season where we come out of where we were, come out of the bondage that we were born into, uh, not by our own choice, but coming out uh, from our sinfulness, because every one of us are born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and come to this world speaking lies. How many would agree? Sometimes, you know, when you, when you, I, I've watched this in the faces of some of our young people who've been raised in this church, and uh, they've, they've known only this church. They've known only this life. They've only, they've only eaten dinners here, church dinners here. And, uh, you know, they, they've been around this all their life. They've been surrounded by this for so many years. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they, they, they begin to hear a voice. And I was talking with Pierce. I was trying to get from him just an idea. What, what is it that... Uh, what is it that's going on? What is it that he uh, caused him to step up this this moment in time, uh, you know, to want to give his heart to God? And in a, in a sense, he couldn't articulate it. He couldn't he couldn't say anything. And I will tell you what, I'm not disappointed at that answer at all because it says to me that uh, somehow or another, sovereignly, supernaturally, God's dealing with him, and he's not saying, well, because uh, everybody else did it. Or several other young boys in the church did it, or my friends did it, or I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to be left behind, or this is happening in the world, or something else. It's just that sovereign, uh, supernatural dealing of the Holy Spirit in the heart of a young man, and he may not even understand why, may not understand all the reasons, may not understand where it's going to take him, but he's just got this desire. Even though he can't even explain it, he's got a desire to go through with it, no matter what anybody says. And I, I talked to him last week by phone, and I talked to him again this morning, 
And uh, he's more determined and more desirous of, uh, of walking that way, even though he has still less of an explanation or no explanation about uh, why he's doing that. He's still determined because there's something inside every child of God that just knows that if I continue on the way I am, that's not going to be very profitable at all. That's not going to be good, a good thing at all. And I'm willing to take that step. I'm willing to lay everything behind. I'm willing to sacrifice what anybody might say about me because I just know that I know it's right and willing to do that. And I think that's a really encouraging thing. I think it's a wonderful thing to see God sovereignly deal with hearts in that way. And that's the first step uh, that everybody needs to go through, uh, go through. It's an attraction. And God puts something in every one of us to be able to respond to that voice of God when it sounds here. And uh, whatever it is, that power to convict, uh, it's able to pull you out of your sin and pull you out of uh, anything in life. I say it's even strong enough to pull you out of addiction. It's able to pull you out of depravity. It's able to pull you out of sinfulness. It's able to pull you out of a bad situation. Hey, it's not so much what that voice or what that power can do. The, the better question is what can't it do? It can really pull a person and convert even the worst among us and pull us out and set us up upon a rock. It's a wonderful thing to see take place. And secondly, when a person recognizes that, they go through a new birth, it opens a gate, and uh, it, it, is, it is essentially uh, when, when a person goes through that gate and they surrender their heart to Christ, and, and now it's not them that lives, but Christ that lives in them, they become really an existential threat to Satan and his kingdom, and uh, Satan realizes he's lost one, and we realize we've gained another one, and the blindness goes away, and the unveiling of the powers of darkness go away, and I will tell you something, it's a leading that now takes over in their lives to be able to have access, listen, to have access to God, and for God to have access to you. I think that's a wonderful thing, that, that now all of a sudden we realize God has access to me, God can speak to me. And God can tell me things, and God can show me things. But then also to realize that I have access to God, and I can go to God and petition Him and ask Him things, and I can, uh, I can, uh, uh, you know, cast all my cares upon Him because uh, God knows what's going on in my life, and God has answers, and God is all powerful. How many have experienced that? Just to know that we have access to God, and God has access to us. You should be very thankful that God has access to you. In a very personal way. And that God can stop you or convict you and slow you down in whatever way he needs to. And the third step or the third phase of this really is, is the process of separation. I was telling Pierce, as I've told many others, that uh, that seed that lives within a person, it knows what to do. It knows what to become. It knows what characteristics to display. Just like if you plant corn in the ground, it knows how to be a corn. It knows how to display corn stuff. Uh, that's not... Corny, that's just the real thing. That's just the way that God deals with seeds. They, they are, they're, in a sense, they're programmed. They are, they are destined to be what God placed within that seed. And all it needs is an environment and the, and the, and the, uh, the water and the sunshine, the elements there that, uh, that uh, cause it to, to express what it really was. Hey, listen, every one of us have read our Bible as far as John 4, and you know that the woman at the well, uh, she was a, a person who lived a life and was the seed of God, but did nothing in her life before meeting Jesus that was commendable at all. She had been married four or five times, and the person she's living with now is not her husband, and uh, she's living in a, uh, you know, a certain condition in life and living every day with the word shame in front of her eyes. Right? The woman at the well. 
And she's not even allowed naturally. She's not even allowed to associate uh, with the women who are uh, in the in the town there. And, uh, you know, just kind of living that life of, of uh, exile or isolation, if you want. And, and would have to feel, uh, you know, maybe there's something really wrong with me if I can't make a marriage work. Maybe there's really something, you know, really bad or especially bad about me if I can't make that work. But yet we know she was a seed of God. Isn't that right? We know she was a child of God. And it took meeting Christ and then it took expression by that seed for her to really display the attributes of Christ. But only after meeting Christ. So when you look at, uh, you know, we could take time, lots of time on this and, uh, you know, think about it. But uh, Lot... Uh, you know, when we think about Abraham and Lot and the differences in those uh, two men, they're related. They're in the same family, right? They're, they're in the same family tree. They're related. But when we come down to the end of the road, Lot's, Lot's view of things changes quite a bit as opposed to Abraham's. When Lot, when Lot travels long enough with Abraham and he's in that, he's in that parade that uh, Abraham has when he leaves Ur and comes into the promised land. He's actually in there and, and looking around. His view had changed quite a lot over that time period. And he looks at Sodom and he sees nothing but potential in Sodom. Imagine. He sees nothing but potential and he says, I'll take the well-watered plains and I'll go down there. And we know that that didn't go so well because at the end of, end of his life, how that uh, you know, destruction found his household and his, his, his offspring came even by ways we are reluctant to describe in the pulpit. Are you following me? A lot had children in a way that we're not always proud or, or don't want to easily say that from the pulpit. But, uh, you know, he had, he had daughters and uh, how that, uh, you know, he brought forth children after the destruction of Sodom there. But you look at uh, two men that are going in the same direction. They arrive in the same place. And yet Abraham's life is altogether different because God says in Genesis chapter 18 that I know Abraham. He's my servant. I can reveal things to him. And he's going to order his house in a certain way. And uh, that way will be quite different than most other people. But I can trust Abraham. I can, I can impart things to Abraham because he is, he is Abraham. And uh, God has dealt with him in quite a different way. I'll tell you what says to God tonight. It's not, it's not somehow that God has given you a book and you've learned everything. It's the expression of that seed of God that, that really is the thing that God's looking for. He's not looking to see whether you've made it to every camp in America in one year. He's not looking to see whether uh, you have attended every service. He's not looking at whether, uh, you know, you've gotten everything uh, legally correct. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for the expression of his own life through your life, one that is redeemed by the blood of Christ and expresses itself as an indication that God is alive. He's not dead, but he's alive. And he can take something that's so corrupt and so lost and so messed up and bring it to a place where it expresses the love and the ordinances of Christ. I think it's a wonderful thing. And, and we, are, uh, we are shown that in the scripture and now it's our time to express that. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Now, all of a sudden, the inner man, the outer man, uh, they're, they're two different things, right? To a convert, new convert, and they begin to grow in Christ. The inner man, the outer man are two different things. How many believe that? There's, there's, there's an outer part. I, I heard a story recently of a guy who was some, supposed to be some sort of a missionary, and uh, he was over in Africa visiting, and he was a bodybuilder. And uh, 
<laughs> kind of a paradox. I guess it was like Christian rap music. And uh, he had been, he had been a bodybuilder. So he was over in in Africa, and he went to this uh, off the road kind of a place. And and uh, he said, well, to impress the local people, you know, first of all, get their attention. I thought I would do some flexing and show his muscles. And well, the whole village gathered in, right? I mean, they'd never seen anything quite like this. And so they all sat around. They looked at him, and I mean, it was impressive, you know, a very muscular guy and, and a great physique and everything else. And uh, so when he was all done, and he was open for an opportunity to preach the gospel, I'm not sure how they connected that, but nonetheless, he was open for making some inroads with the people there to impress them, you know, and get their attention. And the chief kind of said, well, he said, you know, that's pretty amazing. He said, I never knew a human being had so many muscles. But he said, what do you do with it? The guy said, what do you mean? He said, what do you do with all those muscles? What are they for? And he, the guy said, nothing. He said, they're just a show. And the chief just shook his head and got up and left. He said, what a waste. What a waste. What a waste that we'd have such a great outer and nothing inner to show. No purpose for this. It's like dying with the most stuff. You're still dead. Right? I, I mean, what a waste. What a waste to have spent our energy and our, our resources on things that are not going anywhere, really not going to accomplish very much at all. It, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 to me, it's, and I've, uh, I've been listening lately, and, and uh, you know, the, the, whole, the whole idea of God establishing a vision, God establishing a, a, a destiny for his people, he, he describes it very clearly. He describes the vision very clearly. And as long as we walk in accordance with the vision that God lays out, hey, things are going to work out okay. Do you believe that? God's going to get you closer to the kingdom with every step. And like, for instance, when Moses saw the golden calf, he knew, he knew that this was absolutely contrary to the vision that God had established. And the best thing he could do was destroy it because it had no connection with the vision or the direction that God was taking his people. And so therefore, the, the inner man, the outer man, they become two divergent things now because the outer man, we really don't care for it as much as we used to. Uh, we, we obviously feed it. It, it helps get us around. Uh, I'm grateful for my inner man to get me, you know, my feet are long enough to reach the pedals. I think that's great. Uh, but as far as the, the, the body itself, we know it's going to disintegrate one day and go back to ashes and chemicals if we live long enough here on the earth. And uh, it doesn't have any born-again qualities to it, right? It's not born again. And uh, it doesn't have any eternality about it. We know that it's similar uh, to what God had in mind for me about 40 years ago or so. But uh, it, it, it has those similar qualities. But it doesn't have any eternal value in itself, this body right here. So therefore, we're not going to be focused too much on the things that happen outwardly. We're much more concerned about the things that happen inwardly and, and what God wants to develop inside here. And inside here, there's a separation that goes on. Inside here, uh, there's a separation that takes place uh, within, in our, in our hearts and in our souls, so that uh, we're not as influenced by what, the things we see and the things that are natural and the things that are uh, obvious out here. God does not want you to be influenced by those things. He wants you to be influenced rather by the Word of God and allow that to shape your path and shape your decisions and your choices. And that involves obviously separating. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, I used the illustration of God, how he washed, uh, he used Moses to wash 
uh, Aaron and his sons and uh, wash off all of the uh, uncleanness of, of the world and then dress them a certain way. That's the process uh, of what believers go through. We come out of a filthy environment and God washes us through a process of sanctification and dresses us for a different kind of service altogether. And it's the Spirit of God uh, that was uh, masking itself in Moses there, inhabiting itself in Moses, and uh, preparing, using Moses, using that prophetic word, uh, to, to prepare the people to enter into something that, uh, you know, they, they, never, they never planned for or was not a part of their life before now. And I think easily we can stretch and see that that's exactly what God's done in our day, it's it's not a uh, it's not a trying to keep up with the world, but rather it's really a, a stark thing. It's a separating from the things of the world and God taking off or stripping off the things that don't matter and don't count. But the people in the world might put a lot of emphasis on, but we, we'll allow the Holy Spirit to take them off in your lives. And if the Holy Spirit wants to take something out of your life, you ought to let him take it out of your life. You ought to let them remove it. You ought to let them just, uh, you know, allow you to become disengaged from that. Or, or even say, Lord, take the love of that away from me. Because I don't want to have that love compete with my love for you and my love for your, your standards and, and your words. I, I'll tell you what, when I, uh, when I was, I, I've told you before as part of my testimony and I, I, I used to smoke and smoked all the time. Did what, smoke whatever I could roll and burn. I, that was the, just the way I was. And then when, when I was converted and went through that experience and came back uh, to real life, I was out in another town in my province in Canada and came back uh, to my hometown and walking down the street and I had the same coat on that I had traveled out to this town to get baptized in. And when I put my hand in my pocket, there were the cigarettes. Always had cigarettes with me. Always. Always had them. And then I put my hand in my pocket and I, I, I had them. I, I, I touched them and I knew immediately what it was. And I thought to myself... For the very first time, it was a unique and strange reaction, but I knew for the very first time, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And I'd never felt that before, touching the cigarette. I'd always felt a sense of relief. Ah, still got some left. But now, and this was, this was completely unconscious, when I put my hand in and felt him, I knew exactly what it was. I felt shame. And immediately I looked around. I was on a, just a busy street and I looked around to see if anyone knew me. And I didn't want anybody to see what I was about to do. And I went, I, I, I spotted a garbage can and went over and did that and slammed him in the garbage can just to get rid of him as fast as I could. And I didn't want any, I was looking around to make sure nobody saw me. I was so ashamed of it and it was an automatic thing. And then I realized afterwards that's not the way I was. And many times that's a sign of God dealing in your life is that uh, the things you once did, now you have no affinity towards them. You have no love for, towards them. You have no attachment towards them. As a matter of fact, in my heart, I want to get as far away as I could from them and not have any connection with them at all. And you know what? That's a very healthy thing in the Christian life. When God wants to strip something out of your life, just, just get rid of it and move back as far away as you can because you don't want to give that an inch. You don't want to give that any kind of room in your life or any way it could reach out and draw you back into it again. If God separates you from it, then you let God separate you from it. God sanctifies that out of your heart and takes the love of that out of your heart. Let Him take the love of that out of your heart. 
Don't go back around that and say, well, I'm a missionary to smokers, you know, or something like that. Hey, listen, they've got enough warnings on the back of the pack these days to make them think in common sense terms about uh, what it is that's going on. But if, and, and that's their, that's their choice. But for me and my, for me and, and, and where I was, I needed to separate from that. And that separation is a healthy thing. And it goes on really all of our lives because new things come and new things happen all the time. And, and then, you know, when you, uh, when you have victory over something like that, it's God's vindication in your life that you're making the right choices and that you're doing the right things and you're making the right steps. Amen. How many are glad for God's vindication in your life? Amen. Vindication is always about God helping you figure out that what you're hearing is from God. Vindication is always, is always God making sure you understand that what you're hearing is from God. I, I believe that God is still a healer. I, I believe He's still a deliverer. I believe that. And God heals in mysterious ways. And I, I, sometimes God will heal quickly and sometimes God will heal, uh, you know, over a period of time. But God knows the dilemma, God knows the situation, and sometimes God will even use the physical things that we go through as a means of bringing us to a better place. And that may seem strange to us, but I believe that that's true. We were just on our men's camp out this last weekend. If you weren't there, if you weren't there, you weren't there. But I will tell you this, that we had a situation that arose on Friday night, and one of our brothers came and gathered all of us, called for all of us, and was feeling quite sick, and obviously showing it. And uh, we gathered around, and he, he asked for prayer. He's here today and asked for prayer and said, Hey, I'm feeling this and this and this. Come on me all of a sudden here. And uh, he said, I'd like you to pray for me. I said, Let's lay hands on him. We did. We, we got around in a circle and laid hands on him. An hour later, back on his feet, no sign, no indication, led the devotional that night. Hey, listen, that's our God that we serve. And sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes it just goes down that way. And there are other times when, like the woman who was, uh, had a blood issue for all of those years, you know, it goes on for a long time. Not, not an insincere person, not a person who doesn't want to be healed, but a person who does. But they come to a moment where they encounter the living God, and when they do, they reach out, take advantage of that moment and reach out, and then all of a sudden that healing occurs. Or the man by the pool and all those years, you know, waiting for the angel to trouble the waters and, uh, there for years and years and years and watching that and watching people jump in the water and walk out completely healed. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus shows up on the scene and touches that man and he walks away, uh, completely whole. Let me tell you, it doesn't always happen the way we think and it doesn't always happen according to our timetable. But I believe that God's still a healer nonetheless. And he knows what we go through and he knows what we suffer. And God knows exactly the weaknesses that we have. But I'm thankful that our weaknesses don't stand up in the court of accusation where Satan tries to be a judge. I'm glad that our weaknesses don't stand up in court. They fail. But the last thing that I want to say is this. We have a, a calling and an attraction. And I, I believe that what happened with Pierce and uh, today and some of the other young folks that lately that have uh, surrendered their heart to Christ. And I think uh, that's an indication. I've always said this. I think that's an indication of what's happening at home. And I think it's an indication of what happens in their Sunday school. And then uh, I think also what happens here. And, and I, I'm excited about that because I think that's the way church should be. Church should be a place where the whole family is ministered to. 
where, where adults are ministered to and where young people are ministered to and families are ministered to. And sorry if that offends anybody, but I think that's what church should be. Church should be a community where people can get uh, what they have need of to be better individuals and to be better families and to be better stewards in this world. And I think we should teach all of that. I think we need to have the mysteries of God. I don't think we need to have intellectualism. And I don't think we need to have, uh, you know, a, a theological approach to things. I think we need to have the doctrines that are, that have been given to us in this last day. And the scripture, the open book that's been given to us. What a blessing to be living in a time of the open book. What a blessing to be able to live in a time when God has spoken so clearly and taken the veil off things. And we don't see through a glass darkly anymore, uh, but we see Him face to face. And we, we realize this is God come down in, in, the, in the bosom of His own Word and reveal Himself in His bride and living within His bride. Hey, we're not waiting for a rapture to come. We are that rapture walking around in shoe leather. We are that event just waiting to happen. And one day I believe we shall be released in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And I believe that in the, uh, in, in the time that we're living in and the, uh, the circumstances that we face here, I, I believe that God has instilled in us a faithfulness uh, towards the, the, the principles and the standards that, that God has decreed for our time. And I will tell you this just on a personal note here, that if nothing else, the thing that I want to be remembered for is being faithful to him and his word, if nothing else, even if everybody else turned against me, I want to be found faithful. Take your Bible for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry here, I'm, I'm departing from notes here, but just, just for a few moments here. I, I want you to notice this is a verse that's always corrected my thinking, especially when I really needed it. First Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now remember, a steward doesn't own what he possesses. He's just given it to handle it and to use it until the master takes it back. So a steward is in possession of something, just like Joseph was a steward in Egypt, uh, All of Egypt was not his, and all of the grain was not his. It belonged to Pharaoh, but it was put in his hand to use as the master decided. And he had to be the right kind, he had to make the right decisions and right choices over what was was placed in his hand. And Paul is saying this, that the mysteries of God, the truth of God's word, and the great exodus that we're living in, this is the second exodus here, the great exodus that we're living in has certain things within it and about it that God has said. And he said, I want to be faithful to that. I want to be faithful to these mysteries and to preach them in such a way that they are conveyed to the right people at the right time. Because that's very important. And then he says in verse 2, Moreover, it is required in students. And that Greek word there, required, is the word demanded. He said it is demanded in stewards. There's not a choice here. We We don't get the vote on this. It is demanded in stewards that a man be found faithful. It is demanded of, of stewards, and I consider myself to be a steward here in the same light, that my greatest thing that I'm responsible for is not the size of my church or the amount of mission work that's done or the size of the acreage that we have here. That's not required. What is demanded of me is faithfulness 
to God's word and the, uh, the, the principles that God has told us to adhere to all the days of, of the ministry that I have on this earth. Can you agree? Now, in, in, in a, in a, in, I don't want mean to say a smaller sense, uh, but maybe in a less ministerial sense, if that's a word, you are responsible as well to be faithful to apply those, those uh, standards and those, uh, those mysteries as well, and, and those things that you know are true, the revelation that God gives to you, you are responsible as well as a steward, because everything you know, everything God's revealed to you is not yours. God revealed it to you, right? It's God's Word. How many believe this is God's Word? This is God's message. This is God's program. This is God's exodus. This is God's time. And so therefore, we are here by God's grace. And so, uh, we, we want to be faithful in everything that God has required. I will tell you this, it'll do you no good to come to the right church and hear the right things from the right person and go home and do nothing about it. We, we, uh, you know, I find it interesting that, you know, sometimes a pastor will, pastor will, you know, breach on, broach on certain subjects and wade into something. And if he's a smart pastor, he'll just do it gently, you know, and just kind of get in there and he's, because he's not an evangelist. I'm not an evangelist. We all have different uh, approaches, right? We all have different ways of ministering. And uh, pastors have, uh, is the only one that has to be kind of a little bit of everything. They had to be a little bit evangelistic, although I, I'll admit I'm not always good at that. They had to be teachers, and that's good, but you can't be a teacher all the time because you'll dry up the church. And uh, they had to be apostolic. In other words, they had to be interested in more than just the four walls here and, uh, you know, reaching out and all of that. And, you know, the prophetic and, and really catching the mind of Christ for a church. We had to be all of that. Pastors had to be a little bit be a little bit of that but an evangelist really they're just called to be an evangelist and if you're an evangelist you know show the proof of that ministry and just go and blast away they'll come into a place and they don't know what's going on they don't know who's who they think everybody's a believer they think everybody's fine they think every marriage is sound everybody's happy nobody's wearing a tattoo and uh you know this is great nobody's drinking soda in the church so they think it's all fine so they just have at it and they talk oftentimes about the stuff they saw in the last church they were at and they'll come in and they'll blast certain things that I, I don't mean, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I marvel at how they can do it and so boldly get in there and talk about things that the pastor's been trying to tiptoe around because, you know, he's got, he's got this and that and he's got families and he's got, you know, sensitivities and, and if I say this, they'll know and if I say this, they know I know and if, you know, ah, you know, Brother Branham even warned us as ministers. He said, you know, you can go and hang around with the people too much and have dinner in their house all the time. And you know what's going on. You know when, uh, you know when the kids lift up the pitcher over the mantel place and <laughs> there's something underneath. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, you, you can find out, that, well, I better not say anything about that because, you know, they're my friends or they're big tithe payers or something else. Now, I'm just, I'm just describing the way he described it, all right? And, uh, you know, pastors, they, they sometimes will uh, nudge away, chip away, you know, they'll, they'll gum something to death. You know, they'll, they'll just kind of work on a little while. And evangelists will come in and say, all right, now you folks that miss church because of baseball, I want you to put your hand up. You know, whoa, whoa. did he just say that? <clears throat> but that's, that's who evangelists are. And then, you know, the teacher can come in and take something that you, we, we, we may have been 
probing at and wondering at, you know, and teaching and talking about how great it is and it's part of God's Word and look at all the quotes that are there. And a teacher just comes and says, all right, let's take this subject. And he just places it all, lays it all out in order and boom, there you go. you got a complete picture. And by the end of service, you're just shaking your head and wondering, how did he just do that? It took me two years. And then the people will come and say, I never, they'll say to the, the teacher, I've never heard of that before. That's just amazing. Now, I've been preaching on that for two years. And they'll say, I never heard, never saw that scripture before. Never, never thought, wow, that's just amazing. You know, where do you, where do you preach? Where do you go? Happen, happen, it's happened lots of times. That's just who teachers are. Prophets are a different category altogether, right? When, when, you know, when you think about having a prophet in your midst and knowing not only what's taking place now, but what's going to take place, and then be able to have a discernment about what's going on in people's hearts and lives. My goodness, what a, what a challenge that would be. I mean, we, we all think it'd be glamorous to have somebody like Brother Branham in your church, but would you? Would you really? I mean, that would certainly shake things up, wouldn't it? But we're all gifted in a certain way. Ministers are gifted in a certain way. Now watch what Paul says. But with me, verse 3, it's required in, in, in stewards that they be found faithful. You can only minister within the context that God has given you. With the gifts and talents God's given you. And then I found a quotation where Brother Branham said, God makes a man because he's going to minister to a certain people. And God made that minister for a certain group of people. And I will, sorry to inform you, but I'll tell you that people think that I'm kind of odd. People think that I'm kind of different, weird, in the way I explain things, the way I do things. There was one time years ago when I went down to South Georgia in the country down there, and, and uh, I, you know, I said my words in a certain way, and they thought, well, after I left, they circulated the rumor. They said, he must have graduated out of a Bible school because nobody but somebody who's trained in a Bible school can say words like that. So I went down again. When I went down again, I sang for him, and that dispelled the rumor. They just said, oh, okay, wow. Because if you know anything, in a Bible school, they teach him not only to preach but also to sing. And they said, oh, yeah, okay, well, that's okay. He's not from a Bible school. But we're all different, right? But I said all that to say this, that God gave me to you. So maybe you're a little odd. Maybe you're a little weird, outside the box. Just saying. Just saying what the tapes say. But you know what? I, I feel at home here because uh, I, I, I kind of feel a, a kinship here that's not just, hey, we're good buddies. But I feel a rightness about being here. And I hope you do too. I hope you do too. Because there's just something that fits here. But, but let's read on. But Paul writes, he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment in general. Right? He's making this statement in general. It, it's, a, it's a small thing. It's not something that I worry about. Uh, in terms of how you judge me or of man's judgment, yea, I judge not my own self. 
I don't even put myself in, in a position of, of judging myself. For I know nothing by myself. Yet I, am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. So Paul says, I'm not answerable to you. As much as that may disappoint some people, I'm not answerable to you. I have a higher court. I have a higher order, a higher authority, if you like, that I have to answer to. Because there may be things that you judge, hey, you should never have said that. But you know what? I've got to answer to a judge who's up here. And if he tells me to say a certain thing or shows me a certain thing, I need to be faithful to say that and to express that in the right way. All right? Everybody? In the right way. Because I don't believe you should ever say things to destroy or hurt or cut down or whatever. I think all things should be done unto edifying. All things should be done unto edifying. And, and so there are things, though, that Paul knew that he had to say, things that he had to uh, relate to the people and give to the people, even when they, when they wanted to hear it and when they didn't want to hear it. When they were out of church and lollygagging and they were not being faithful and they're not faithful in their tithing and say, oh, well, you know, Brother Barry's all right. He's got a Buick to drive and, you know, I don't really need to worry about that. Hey, if that's what you're thinking about tithing, you don't understand tithing. We need a teacher to come and teach about tithing because that's not, that's not the point of you paying tithes, right? And so Paul says, he says, I know nothing, but he says, he that judges me is the Lord. That word judge there, it means to determine the excellence of something. Determine the excellence or the defect of any person or thing by investigation. And so I'll tell you something. Uh, you know, you may, you may hear certain things and you may, sometimes you might go to a meeting or you might go to visit another church or I might be visiting here today and you hear certain things and, uh, you might make a judgment about that. But I will tell you what, I believe that only the Holy Spirit can really determine the excellent or the defect of a thing because He knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I can hear your words and I can hear what you say, but only God knows the intentions of the heart. And, and he's able to judge that. He's able to determine, uh, the excellence of that and to investigate that in ways that we can't. Because, uh, you know, I, I, look, here's Brother David over here and, you know, he could say a certain thing to me and he could, uh, tell me a certain story. Well, you know, I, I, I'd only have to look at that at face value and what he tells me, this is what he told me. And, uh, this is what he said. And I, I, you know, I love Brother David and, and, uh, you know, I, I, I know he wouldn't lie to me. He wouldn't mislead me. But, you know, there may be something he left out. Of that story. Maybe something that he didn't fully include here in that story. I'll tell you what, it's only the Holy Spirit that's able to judge the excellency or the, the defect of something and, and to be able to correct a person on that. And I'm glad that he does. I'm glad that he does. And you watch sovereignly when God does it. He'll come by and he'll sometimes make up that little part that we leave out because we're not ready to face that and we're not ready to admit that. And the Holy Spirit will come by and bring that part out and then you realize, ah, that's the whole story. Many times God will do that personally. You can be sitting here in church today and God can bring out something, a little something that you didn't want to tell, you didn't want to admit, you didn't want to face, and you didn't want to have to deal with, and the Holy Spirit can bring it out in a certain way, and you realize, you know what? He's the one that's able to judge the thoughts of my heart. He's the one that's able to judge what's really going on. He's able to determine the excellence or the defect in a thing. And we want to leave Him to do that. Now, let me give you an example here, if you don't mind. And I want you to go to Matthew chapter 19. And uh, just another couple of scriptures here. 
Matthew, the 19th chapter. And this is very familiar. We've already referred to it, alluded to it here at the beginning. In Matthew chapter 19, and we'll begin at verse 17. Well, both begin at 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This is the rich young ruler. And he said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that's God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said, Which? Show me which ones. He said, Thou shalt do no murder, adultery, stealing, false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and so forth. Young man said, verse 20, All these things have I kept from my youth. But where do I fall short? That's what he wanted to know. I need to know the whole story. I need to know the whole thing. And I want you to tell me where I fall short. That's what he's asking Jesus. Imagine. He's asking the right person the right question. And then Jesus turns around and gives him exactly the right answer. If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast and give to the poor, that thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. But the young man heard the saying and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now we know how he viewed those possessions, not only then, but even when he had more possessions, right? As he, as he accumulated more, the, the trust in those possessions grew. Because as he got more stuff and got bigger burns and, uh, you know, expanded his, his business there, the, the, the feeling came of, oh, soul, take thy knees. You know what? Nothing's going to happen bad enough that I don't have the resources to meet. Nothing's going to happen to me that's, that's powerful enough that's going to destroy or deplete the resources that I have stored up. I've got this covered. And Jesus is, is looking at that not in the end stage, but he's looking at it in the beginning stage here. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, folks. You understand what I just said? He's looking at this when this young man is in a position of deciding. He's looking at this when this, this young man is thinking about, I want to be right, and I want to, I want to make sure that I don't fall short on anything. And Jesus tells him, gives him the word there that he needs to hear. And this becomes a bigger problem later on because he didn't take the right word of correction back there. But the Holy Spirit knows he's able to determine the excellence of something or the defect in something. And even though Jesus loved the young man, even though he had a feeling for the young man, he could look at him and he could say, oh, you know what? There's a, there's a little defect here, if you don't mind. Let me just point it out. Let me just show it to you here. And he, and he illustrates that to him and just leaves it with him. He doesn't say, now look, buddy, you got, you got a choice. And by the end of the day, I want to hear it. He doesn't say that. He just says, this is what I see. And he tells it to him here. And obviously this young man goes off and uh, he becomes enamored with all the finances that he has. But he comes trustful in all of those finances that he has. And that defect that was only a little thing, it became a great big problem later on. Because if you follow that story through, when that man dies and they all had the funeral, you know, the mayor, everybody comes Half page in the New York Times, right? All the good, because they need that much space because of all the good things he did, the benevolence that he was, uh, you know, that he was, that, that would characterize him and all the money he gave away and everything else. And then we find as you go down the road, he's the one, he's the one that got over on the other side and Lazarus, he looked up 
from hell and saw Lazarus resting in the bosom of Abraham. And he said, hey, can you ask that guy to dip his finger in water and send him over here? And if you don't mind, send somebody back to give him this one message. That when the Holy Spirit finds a defect in your life, you act on it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And Jesus said in the parable, he says, hey, they've had the law, they've had the prophets, they had men like John the Baptist stand in front of them. I was there. All the other messengers were there over all the ages, and they didn't listen to him in their lifetime. What would another messenger do? You know, one of the greatest things, one of the absolute greatest things that can happen in your life is that you could wander in here and the Holy Spirit could point out a defect in your life, even if I'm not your pastor. Because you know what? I'll tell you something really true. If I know you've got a defect, I can't say Jeff, he doesn't have any, or David. Just say Hunter over here. If Hunter has a defect, I'm not going to say it from the pulpit for sure. Because I love Brother Hunter too much. You know, I just feel for him too much. I wouldn't want to say anything, embarrass him, or, you know, say something. Hunter, hey, you should be at church more often, or something. You know, whatever else. That's, that's, not, what a real past, that's not what a real shepherd does. We never, we never will increase faith in people by telling them they don't have faith. We'll never make people more sound by telling them, embarrassing them into the fact that they're not sound. You want to give them something that makes them sound. That really is the best approach. I would not do that to point out a flaw. But I will tell you this. The Holy Spirit knows how to do that real good. He knows how to do that real good because he can bring a pastor or minister down a certain road or maybe we bring in somebody here and some of the brothers that have come here to minister, maybe when I'm not here or when I am just a guest and come and know nothing about your situation, know nothing about your marriage, and know nothing about what the strife, the level of strife is in your household and they come and talk about that and talk about jealousies and talk about differences there and uh, just lay it out. I, I, I was listening to the weekend's brother, Josh Bennett had the meetings this weekend. I listened to all the services there and I was just amazed at some of the things that some of those brothers dropped in there and I was listening from an objective you know perspective just just as a neutral party I was just amazed at some of the examples that they gave are very real examples that happen in people's lives and in people's churches I was just absolutely amazed how accurate those things can be and all it is, I will tell you all it is, and we should be very mindful of this and very thankful. And if you don't learn anything else from today, learn this, that the Holy Spirit is very, very interested in judging the excellency or the defect in something and pointing that out so you don't have to watch that defect develop in your life and become a big problem down the end of the road. And if he identifies something in your life, you ought to act on that and you ought to just submit yourself to God and say, Lord, help me to do whatever I need to do in order to cover up that defect to help it. I may have just an attitude and it just could be just that. It might not be ever a sin committed. It can just be an attitude and, and says, oh, you know, this is, a, uh, this is something I don't need to worry about and I'm, I've been in the message all, you know, all, this, all these years and I go to a good church and all the rest of it or my father's a preacher or something else. Hey, listen, if the Holy Spirit's pointing out a defect in your life, you need to pay attention to that. 
That's exactly what he did with the, uh, with the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler at this particular point is willing to hear. He's willing to listen and say, you know, where, where else do I fall short? Where, what else do I need to do? And look deep, look hard, look, look. And we, I think that's a great thing. We should come to church that way and say, Lord, when I come into church today, look hard, look deep in my life. And find out if there's something that's there. Now, let me just, if you don't mind, just leave me, let me leave you with something here. Just two little thoughts that I want to leave with you. One of them is from a sermon that Brother Brandon preached in 1955. And uh, these are his words here. He said, he said, what if Pharaoh, and he's talking about Moses and Pharaoh here in the contest. What if, what if Pharaoh would have looked into the word of God? He would have changed his attitude towards Moses and the rest of the Israelites. He would, have, he would have changed his attitude. He would have looked in to see where God promised by his word that he was going to bring those people out of Egypt. And he, he, he said he would have changed his attitude towards the people. If he really knew, if he really knew who he was dealing with, he would have changed his attitude. Well, listen to what he said. He was all so busy. This is Pharaoh. now. He was all so busy. He went to church. A very religious man, and he went to church, and he was what you call, I'm quoting here now, he was what you call a mental believer. He was a, Pharaoh was a mental believer. So he's not a person who is estranged from supernatural things or gods. That was a very, very big part of life in Egypt. I've told you before, the gods of the... Nile, the, the animals, and how that they took their gods and put animal heads on them and so forth. It's all a big deal. And when God, when God put Moses in the river, he put him right in amongst those gods there. And, and when he's, you know, the cattle died, God, God was mocking their gods. And so all of that was, was God throwing that back at Egypt there and making them understand that there was only one true God. So it's not that Pharaoh did not understand the spiritual things in life. And here's Brother Branham saying he went to church, he was a religious man, but he was what you call a mental believer. Listen now, just a sentence or two more. And he says, he had a knowledge of what he was doing in the mental way. But to have a real revelation that God was going to keep that word, if he'd had that, he would not have acted toward Moses the way he did. I think that's an amazing statement. Let me say it again. He had a knowledge of what he was doing in the mental way. I know who Moses is, and I know all this is going on here. But now he's got, he's got a knowledge of it. But remember now, he's got a pride too, right? I'm Pharaoh, and I don't want to have to listen to anybody. I don't want to have to give in to their demands, and I don't want to have to go this way and do it because God says so, or Moses, or whoever it is that's the spokesman here. He had a knowledge of what he was doing in the mental way, but to have a revelation that God was going to keep his word. If he really understood the word, he would have looked back and seen, this is not Moses causing this to happen. This is what God said to Abraham hundreds of years ago. And I'm in the playing out of this. I'm in the fulfilling of this here. And he says he would have had that and he would have acted towards Moses. He would not have acted towards Moses the way he did. Which tells me something very important, that if you have a real revelation of the word of God, you're going to act a certain way. You're going to conduct yourself in a certain way. And it's not the way that, Mo, uh, that Pharaoh did towards Moses and the children of Israel. Because he's resisting the actual program of God. He's resisting the move of God. 
And I will say this thing to God that we had to be very careful that we understand who our enemy really is. And our enemy may not be somebody who disagrees with us. Our enemy may not be somebody, you know, in our church or another minister or another church, another situation. That, um, they may do things differently, but that's not necessarily our enemy. Anything it is that conflicts with the program of God, anything it is that causes you to think differently about the program of God, the way it's supposed to be, let me tell you, that's your enemy. And there are things, there are things that we can just rest upon in a mental way without having a real revelation of things. And rest on it in a ment- with a mental understanding. And assume, well, you know what? I'm, I'm in the church. I'm in the message. I'm in, the, I'm in HBT or whatever church you're a part of. And say, well, you know, it's just, we're just going to buy osmosis. And we're just going to be uh, aware of what God wants us to do. And everything we think is going to be okay. That's a dangerous place to come to. And that's why, that's why uh, we, we should be praying for revelation more than anything else in our lives. To have a real revelation that, that God was going to keep his word. He said if he had not really known that, he said he would never have treated those people that way. Just to, just to have that, uh, you know, sense of, uh, you know, trying to resist the thing that God is actually doing. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bible to one more place, and then we're not going to ask you to turn anymore. In Philippians chapter 3. So here's Paul's outworking now of this whole dilemma here. Because Paul doesn't want to be a mental believer. He doesn't want to assume that, uh, you know, everything that he's doing is correct. So this is the way he, this is the way he describes this. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. There's no greater prize. There's no greater thing. There's nothing more excellent than Christ, and to have the knowledge of Christ, and to have a relationship with him. And he says, and taking it further now, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. That I may know him. The Jews believe that you don't really know something until the knowing changes you. You don't really know. You don't really know something. You can know about something, but you don't really know something until that knowledge changes you. I remember when one of my boys got married, and uh, after he came back from the honeymoon, he told me, he said, Dad, he said, now that we're married, if you have any extra cases, marital counseling or anything else, he said, you just send them to us. He said, we'll take care of it. We're married now more than a week. You take care of any of it. I said, I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. <clears throat> you know what? I will tell you something, that when you know Christ, you have a fearlessness about you. You have It's not a recklessness now, but a fearlessness about you. 
Because you know what? Your days are numbered on the earth. God's got a purpose for you being here. And nothing's going to take you off the earth until your time is done. I was telling the sisters last night. It's kind of an odd example. But I was telling telling my wife and sister Chichi last night. I didn't want to slow her down from cooking the rolls. But I, I I just keep doing what you're doing. Let me tell you the story. And I had gone to the grocery store to get something for the dinner today. And I was, I was coming up the aisle, and uh, there's this old lady going down the aisle. She's probably 85 years old, just, you know, thank God for the cart, uh, holding her up, and she's going down the aisle there. And I see these three yahoos, these three, teen, these three teenage boys, big guys, and they're coming down the aisle, and they stop this w- old woman. I was just passing by. It's one of those things where, you know, what you overhear is always better than what you hear. And I just, uh, and they said, uh, you know, money, and so I just, I just turned my head, and so she's, she's, she's reluctant, but she's opening up her purse, and she's holding out cash and starts to give it to these guys. I just stopped for a minute, and I looked, I watched that, and uh, uh, these guys are looking around, you know, like this, and so I walked back, and I said, I said to the old lady, I said, Sister, I said, do you know these guys? And she said, no. And I said, are they asking you for money? And she said, yes. And this guy, one guy says, the spokesman, he said, I'm trying to get money, raise money to go to summer camp. <laughs> I didn't know the juvenile detention center had a camp, but either way. <laughs> he says, yeah, we're trying to go to camp. And all the other two were there. Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what. Uh, why, don't, why don't you go ask the manager if it's okay for you to hit up all the old people in this supermarket for money for you to go to camp? And he said, well, hey, we're just trying to go to camp, you know. And these days, you don't know what's, what's going to happen when you confront people, right? Didn't matter to me. And, she, and, and they said, well, I said, well, if, if, you're, if you're okay with it, if you're not worried, I said, I'll take you. I know where the manager is. The manager lives on my street. I know the manager. And I said, I'll take you to the manager right now, so come on with me. And, uh, oh, we're just wanting to get money. I, I said, I know, I understand about the summer camp. I said, I got that. I said, but uh, I'm not sure you're allowed to hit up old people here for money in the aisles like this when nobody's around. So let's go ask the manager. Oh, we'll do it. We'll do it. And the old lady, as I, as I left, because I was going to follow these guys, and as I left, she reached out and took my arm, and she said, thanks, I'm a sucker for everyone. She said, and off she went shopping. And so I, I, I tracked these guys, followed these guys around. They, and I, I, then I found the manager, and I said, hey, these three yahoos are out here, you know, taking money from the old people. And he said, they never came to me. And I said, well, this is what they look like. This is who they are. And I, so I, uh, you know, I, I went on my way. But at least they were alerted to it over there. But I'll tell you what, it, it's not a, not a recklessness, but it's, it's, a, it's a fearlessness that we have in this life because there's a, a principle of right. There's, there's something that I, I think as, as good stewards and good Christians, things that we should do and things that we should stand up for. And I think a lot of times we think, well, you know, if it doesn't have anything to do with the message, we should not have, you know, get involved or have any say or anything else. You know, we kind of shy away from our responsibilities in this life. Hey, God put you in this life to be a light. God put us in this life to be salt, right, in the earth. 
And, and I believe that we are people who should not be afraid to stand up for righteousness and stand up for things that are, that are true and right. And so this is exactly what Paul is teaching us here. He says, listen, in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings may be made conformable unto his death. Hey, Paul, Paul went and preached in places and got thrown out of the synagogue and went back in again. They stoned him and he went back in again. He was not afraid of, of the dangers of this life. He's not afraid of standing for what was true and right. And I, th- I think, you know, like I said in the original statement here, what Brother Branham mentioned, he said that God is looking for faithfulness. And he said, let's be faithful just the same because God respects our faithfulness the same as he respected Paul and Silas in, in, the, in the prison over there and what they had to go through. And I believe when we stand faithfully for God's word, God will also stand for us. In the same age, because time doesn't matter. It's just your, your faithfulness to his word. That's what God's looking for. God's looking for a heart that will stand true. Hey, it's easy to stand true, and it's easy to stand faithful in good times. It's easy to stand faithful when everybody's in agreement with you. But when things get rough, and things get upside down, and things get squirrely, and things start to get tight, you're going to see people who only profess faithfulness out of their mouth, but they never really had it in their heart. I want to be that kind of pe- person that stands faithful in my heart. And, and, and stands true no matter what the circumstances are. And I'm sure that you do too. And I'm thankful for Pierce today making a stand and, and uh, wanting to be faithful to God's word. Might only know a thimble full, but stand faithful in that. God will honor that. And God will take a person on if they'll walk in, in faithfulness continually. Let's stand to our feet and let's have our uh, musicians come on here today. I believe that God, that's what, that's exactly what God's looking for. He's not asking you to move mountains. He's not asking you to pay the price for sin. He's not asking you to go to the cross. He's not asking you to do things that, uh, that are impossible in this life. He just wants us to stay faithful. He wants me to stay faithful to what he's commissioned me to do. And he wants you to stay faithful if you're a mother or you're a truck driver or you're uh, you know, a laborer in whatever way or you're a manager or you're a scientist or whatever else. God wants you to be faithful. And I, I'll tell you what, that's the best thing you can do is just focus. Lord, how can I be, how can I be even more faithful over what you've given me and the stewardship you've given in my life. And I don't know, maybe there, maybe there might be others here today that uh, would want to take that same step that Pierce has taken in being baptized. We have plenty of water and we have enough time and uh, it'd be a good thing if God's dealing with any other hearts. I think it's never been a better day for you to give your heart to Christ than today. Let's pray together as our musicians play. Heavenly Father, as we... Come, Lord, to this part of the service now. We, we realize, Lord, that your grace is always sufficient. You are a faithful God. And, Lord, you've, you've been consistent, Lord. And even though men have tried to change your word, they've tried to put words in your mouth, they've tried to change the people of God and change their standards and change things about them, Lord, you have been faithful. And Lord, you've shown yourself faithful in the lives of those people when they stood for you. And so, Lord Jesus, today I pray that that spirit would rest upon every one of us, that, Lord, we would just stand true. There wouldn't be a shadow of turning in any of our hearts. Help us, Lord, I pray, to open our hearts to the judging of the Holy Spirit, the way that you can look at our lives and see the excellency and the defect in in things, Lord, and to drop a word in that that motivates us to make those things right. And Lord, may you just deal with our hearts gently, not according to legalism, Lord, but according to your grace. 
Lord, we are depending on that. And we, we just want to put our hand in your hand today and, and just say, Lord Jesus, we give thanks for your involvement in our lives. To have access to you. And Lord, for you to have access to us. Such a great thing. We love you, Lord, with all of our heart. We give you thanks. Bless Pierce today, Lord, and his family. And may God, you just strengthen him in his beginning of a Christian walk. Lord, we know you have something special for all these young hearts, Lord, that you've been dealing with. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. And have your way among us, Lord, in the balance of this day. We'll give you thanks for it. In Jesus' lovely name, we pray. Amen. Amen. I sing praises to your Lord in G, I think it is. We sing praises to your name, O Lord. Praises to your name, O personal to say I sing I sing today thank you Jesus I sing praises to your name first verse again. We sing praises to your name. Oh Lord. 
Caroline, I didn't see you back there. Come on up here. We have a Bible for Sister Caroline. Forgive me for a moment here. We need to do two things before we close the service today. And Sister Caroline is going to be going to another college for a little while. All right? Come on, stand up right here. And uh, you already got a Bible when you graduated from high school, right? And you did a two-year program, and now you're going on to do another two down near Raleigh. And uh, there are no boys, no churches, no reason to stay in Raleigh. This is only a temporary thing. Say after me, temporary. Okay. And uh, so we pray that God will bless you in your studies down there. And we expect to see you here every weekend back home. And uh, trust that God will lead you and guide you. We got you a life application Bible, which is really special and really neat and uh, has lots of good things in it uh, for you to study. And so we pray that God will... Lead you. What are you going to study when you go down? Animal science. Animal science. And veterinary medicine. And veterinary medicine. Wonderful. Those are wonderful fields. May God bless you. Thank you. We're going to sing a little, uh, little chorus, more of you, and. Uh, Today also is um, the last day for a season that Sister Hannah is going to be with us. And she's going to be relocating down in Florida for a little while and uh, taking a a posting down there and completing some of her schooling and uh, going to be with uh, the church of Brother Stacy Goodbread down uh, in Orlando. And so this is going to be her for a season, for a little season, this is going to be her last service with us. And so uh, I'd like to lay hands on Sister Hannah and just pray that God would lead her and guide her as well and uh, protect her uh, in the days ahead because she's, uh, this is certainly a different, uh, different experience for her. And uh, I had to pray for her family. And uh, for us up in Virginia, we're certainly going to miss Hannah. And uh, as a church, you know, we... we uh, we always feel it when any one of our any one of our people make a step outside of the normal path. And uh, but you know, uh, God has His way of uh, watching over us, and God has His way of bringing things right back around. Because no matter what happens to it, all things work together for good to them that love God. And so we're going to trust in that. Sister Hannah, why don't you come on and why don't we stand to our feet today, if you don't mind? Yeah, come on up if you want to come up. Family, David, if you want to come on up. Make a step in here if you don't mind. Would you all pray with me here today? Heavenly Father, as we lay our hands upon Hannah,
upon the Whitlock family. Lord, we know that sometimes things happen that we don't always are aware of. We can't always predict them. But Lord Jesus, you've had your hand upon this family now for many, many years. And you've seen them through some really tough times and difficulties and challenges. And Lord, just once more now, we're asking that you would move on the scene here. As we commit Hannah into your hands, Lord, and pray that you would protect her. Watch over her, Lord, as she makes this new step in life, Lord, and a new chapter opens up for her. And Father, we ask that your hand of protection and mercy would follow her, Lord. May your angels accompany her, which you promised that they would. Lord, we commend her now into your care and into your hands. Lord, may I keep her safe. May I give her direction, leadership. And Lord, when her time comes that she would need to make a change, Lord, you'd make her sensitive to that as well. We know, Lord, that when we put our lives in your hands, we never really know where that's going to take us. We never really know, Lord, what is next. But the most important thing is that our lives are in your hands. And so we commit her to you now and ask your blessing upon David and Missy and Lord, Sister Jackie and Father, all the family. We just commit them to you now. Pray you'd be gracious to them. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. slip out. We're going to turn it over to Ben this morning. We're going to baptize Pierce and uh, after we're done here we have a dinner prepared for everybody and we're going to honor our graduates for a little bit and celebrate Brother Smith's 80th birthday and, and just being together and we want everybody to uh, come on you didn't have to bring anything. We want everybody to come on and enjoy the fellowship. Uh, you got to eat somewhere and uh, so we want you to come and join us and just feel, uh, feel at home. May God bless you. Thank you for coming today. We'll turn it over to Brother Ben. Sing it again now. Be more like thee. Jesus, make me more like thee. Oh, and give me a heart that's filled with your love and make me more like thee one more time yes make me more like thee Jesus Like thee, oh, and give me 
that's filled with your love and make me more like song great is thy faithfulness i um i'm thankful that he's faithful amen i appreciate what brother barry said this morning we want to be faithful but i'm really thankful also that he's faithful to us amen no matter what we're going through he cares about us he loves us amen and he's faithful for us amen as they're getting ready for the baptism let's sing this great is Thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above.
more time. Great is thy faithfulness. Well, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I but a big defect. I'm a sinner, lost, and in need of salvation. And we're so grateful that Pierce has responded to that and is reacting to that the right way. And I, I, we, we just prayed together before we came out. And uh, there's nothing greater he can do in the eyes of God, nothing greater than to walk in obedience to God's word. And that's a wonderful thing. Heavenly Father, we commit Pierce now into your hands. We believe, Lord, that uh, you are the one that inspired him, Lord, to take this step. And in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, first of all, that you would forgive him of every sin. That, Lord, he would have those sins, Lord, uh, removed as far east from the west, as away from the west, Lord. And they shall never meet again. And I, I ask, oh God, that you would just uh, put that distance there, Lord. And we know that these things would never be remembered against him ever, ever again, Lord. And he stands justified as though he never sinned in the first place. And we're thankful for that great miracle of salvation, so rich and free. Lord, I pray you'd receive him. I pray you'd fill him with your Holy Spirit. May he walk in newness of life. And Lord, may you strengthen his inner man that he may become a real man of God, a real man of vision. I commit him to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Pierce, based on your desire to walk in obedience to the scripture, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God is good all the time. It's a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time through the dark. shadows all around. Oh, do not fear. He will guide you. He will keep you safe and sound. He has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And His Word is good. God is good. All the time, 
so you're free to be dismissed at any time. Now, we were sinners, so unworthy, yet for us he chose to die. Filled us with his Holy Spirit, so we could stand and testify. Well, that is love is ever. 